Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 135. And this week, we are excited to have Brendan Dittmer, the head girls basketball coach at Elkhorn Valley High School, which is about, what is it, coach, about 20 miles west of Norfolk? Yeah, 20, 25, and it, yeah. and it only takes about 15 minutes to get there nowadays. Yeah, and for the official record, for all the Johnny Carson fans out there, is it Norfolk or Norfolk? Um, you know, it kind of just depends on how quickly you say it, but yeah, I, I just say Norfolk. Okay, all right, so... Uh, anyway, we're not worried about Norfolk. We're worried about Elkhorn Valley High School here. And, and Coach Dittmer, he's done a great job of building a very, very consistent winning program there at Elkhorn Valley. Uh, but before we, we jump into it with Coach Dittmer, we, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located just off of 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you'd like to check out their practice, go to COSAC Cairo, that's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, obviously, you're listening, so download, rate, review. Give us a five-star review on iTunes so that we can move up in the standings, move up in the ratings, uh, help, us, uh, help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. And, of course, check out a penandanapkin.com, a great coaching resource for any coach out in the world, just the world, the universe, whatever you want to call it, Coach. Um, coach Dittmer, how are things going? Uh, we're taping this on a – it's Wednesday afternoon, right, Coach? Yep, Okay, yep. okay. I'm losing – you know, Go Things ahead. are going good because they're kind of winding down. We we had a busy June, and now I get to sit back for a little bit and just kind of watch my kids. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we're kind of at that point in the summer. As, as teachers, we have these two uh, dynamic worlds where – uh, for 175, 100 days, uh, 180 days out of the year, we're at this extremely regimented schedule. Uh, you know, we're ran by that that bell in the ceiling, and then all of a sudden, for for 10 or 11 weeks, they're like, ah, do whatever you want to do, and all of a sudden, the days start kind of running into each other. Do you kind of find that for yourself as well, Brendan? Oh yeah, easily. Um, you know, I kind of mark my days not by dates, but just by you know what day of the week it is, just so I can keep myself straight. It's kind of like Christmas break, you know, where you kind of lose track of if it's Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Or Thursday, or I don't know what, what whatever it may be. You know, um, I won't say anything about my college days and, and and losing track of that stuff either. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. We'll leave it very generously at that. So. <laughs> Uh, Coach Dittmer, excited to have you on here this week. Uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll start off uh, today's uh, podcast the, the same way that we usually do. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your basketball journey, how you ended up in Tilden, Nebraska, and, and, and the head man of the Falcons of Elkhorn Valley High School. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting journey because even coming out of high school, I, I knew um, I wanted to be uh, a teacher and a coach, um, and I kind of knew that basketball would probably be more my route just because that's probably what I was better at besides baseball um, in high school. But um, 
yeah, I had an English teacher, uh, Jalen Villadol, who was amazing, and she kind of pushed me in that direction because I, I didn't know which direction I wanted to be. You know, I thought maybe PE teacher, but then I also thought uh, that that fight for a job might be pretty hard. You know, there might be a lot of PE teachers out there. So uh, English was the route that I chose, um, and then I had a pretty good influence, you know, between my dad and um, Andy Burpka, who was my football coach, and then assistant basketball coach, you know, who kind of swayed me you know, into thinking that coaching was maybe the route for me. And, um, but you know, in all minds, uh, in college, I went to Midland and I, and I thought I was going to be a boys basketball coach and mm-hmm. that's the direction I wanted to go. And, um, just by an off chance, uh, a student taught at Logan view and, um, let's see a shop teacher at Logan view. Um, Mr. Carlson, he was a friend of the football coach at Elkland Valley. And at the time, I really didn't even know about Elkhorn Valley. I didn't even heard it. I didn't really know, you know, children where it was. Um, but he, anyway, he had gotten wind of, you know, me being a, a decent enough English teacher and then a, a guy that could coach football. Mm-hmm. And so he told his superintendent, which was Ken Navertill, and, and all of a sudden I got a call at Logan View. Um, and, you know, it comes on the loudspeaker and says, Mr. Dittmer, you have a phone call, and I, and I can't think of anybody besides my family and my roommates who would have known that I was at El Pat Logan View. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was a little worried, you know, and then when I picked up the phone, you know, Ken Navratil introduced himself and asked me to come in for an interview and, you know, kind of the rest is history. You know, I, I was brought in to maybe help with the football team, but I kind of said I wanted to coach basketball and the only um, opening they had was, was a, a freshman girls coach because they had a lot of girls that year on the basketball team. So I was fortunate enough to kind of get my leg in you know, with basketball right away when I got here. Mm-hmm. And you've been there ever since. Yep. Yeah. Been there ever since. I, I kind of fell in love with the community and, you know, it's, it's, uh, consistency, but it's also, you know, it's, you know, you find that place. I think that, that you don't want to leave and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's just inviting, you know, yeah. to keep building your life there. And I, I've kind of done that, uh, you know, over the course, I mean, I was single for a long time then I got married and now, you know, now I've been here for, uh, longer than I've lived anywhere else. <laughs> was, was that the plan? Did you, uh, let me rephrase that. Uh, cause we never know the plan plan. Uh, but what, but was your initial inkling is, okay, this is kind of my, my first job. I'm happy to have a paycheck. I'm going to build up my resume a little bit and more than likely I'm probably going to be looking for, something else or or were you just uh hey let's just see how we go year by year and let's see where it takes us yeah well like i said i I really had no intention of being a girls basketball coach Uh um you know and the the opening i guess you know here was was with that and my freshmen were good that year they Uh were they were exceptional players um and so it was fun you know right off the bat um, and then you kind of just look down the line and you kind of get to know the families and you get to know that they have sisters and, and you know, these kids coming up are going to be good. And, and I think it was more of that that kept me in Tilden was just the consistency of the, you know, the talented families and supportive families and mm-hmm. the kids coming up through the, the elementary. I mean, I just noticed them early as being, you know, kids that were going to be really good basketball players, but, you know, probably fun to coach too. Yeah. How did you get into the head coaching position there at Elkhorn Valley? Um, well, so when I got here, the, the head coach was Robbie Thompson, um, and I was with him for two years. Uh, and then um, it, it, it kind of a forced resignation, I guess, um, in, in the sense, um, you know, Robbie was a really good coach. I learned a lot from him. Um, and then 
that next year was kind of a transition year, but it was a really good basketball team. So that freshman group that I had uh, right away, they were going to be juniors. And I knew that they, they were something special. Um, so they, the, the, I don't know, as the school board superintendent, his combination kind of um, decided, you know, I'm not going to throw this young guy out there right away, you know, because this is a good group. This is a talented group, but there could be a lot of pressure that comes with that. So I actually uh, co-coached one year with Dave Burkhart. Um, and he was uh, way back, you know, when um, the one that started the Elkhorn Valley Girls program. Okay. Um, and he won a state title in 84. Um, and so, again, he brought a lot of that traditional knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. to us. And um, I, I was really appreciative of that year uh, spent with him. I mean, we we butted heads some, but, man, he, he just he let me control the offense. And, and uh, you know, actually a lot of the play calling during the game. And, you know, so it was really – um, you know, one of those transitional years where I got a benefit from a, a great mentor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was 2004. So we actually made the state tournament that year. Um, and then that group of uh, juniors moved in to be seniors, and we only lost one senior from the year before. So they were a really, really good team to, you know, start my career off with Yeah, um, as a head coach. That, that was good planning by you, Brendan. Really? <laughs> you know, just pure, pure luck. You know, I mean, that, that luck has to have a big uh, – factor in your career i think you know and and that was part of it you know being in the right place at the right time and, and just you know staying true to what everybody else's plan was for me mm-hmm. uh along with basketball you had mentioned football and that's kind of how you got your foot in the uh in the door there at elkhorn valley uh you were assistant coach or defensive coordinator and then you had a stretch where you were head football coach for three or four seasons and while you were still the, uh, the head girls varsity basketball coach. What was that dynamic like for you? How does how did those two uh, different sports kind of help shape your coaching philosophy and, 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 and create who you are today? And, and again, you know, it, it is a challenge. It's, uh, I, when I took on the head coaching job, I did it for three years, and, and my plan was to do it for about – three to five. Um, and then I had a, a good assistant coach that I was kind of grooming to be the next head coach. Cause I knew it wasn't going to be long term because they'd done the assistant coach, you know, job for such a long time. Um, it's just a lot of film watching, you know, and a lot of time, you know, spent doing that rather than, you know, being with your family. So, um, you know, when I took the head coaching job, my summers became June basketball, July football. And, and it was like, okay, August school starting up. Um, so it was, it was hard. It was really, really difficult, but, um, I actually enjoyed it, you know, for as long as I've done it, um, because I got to coach both sides. I got to coach the boys and I got to coach the girls. And so, um, you know, my, uh, presence in the weight room was important to both groups. You know, my, um, outside the school relationship with the kids on both sides was really important. Uh, so I, I really, uh, loved my time, you know, doing it. And in fact, I, I sat out of football for, I think it was what, two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely, and now they've asked me to be back in, in the booth again. So I'm, I'm with them on Friday nights, which is the one part about football that I really, really missed was those Friday nights under the lights. But mm-hmm. um, no, it just all around. I think um, you know, at a small school, especially, you need to be visible and you need to show to the kid that kids that what they do matters to you, because um, then I think that they see that the time that you're putting in to mm-hmm. them, you know, matters too. Yeah. What were or what have been some of the things that you've taken from football that you have applied to your basketball coaching style? Uh, 
you know, um, just a lot of things, I guess, especially with how you deal with, with kids. Um, cause you know, kids have bad days as much as they have good days. And so, um, you've got to be able to find a way to get them motivated when, when maybe they don't want to be motivated. And that's something that, that doesn't change between genders. I don't think, um, you know, football, um, coaching boys, boys like to do things, um, kind of ad lib style, you know, they, they, they want to do things on their own where girls are a little bit more by the book. Um, so finding that fine line between those two ways of coaching, I guess, um, is really, really good. And, and it's funny that you should say football to basketball, but, um, we had, well, it's a basketball, it's a basketball podcast, but you know, you know, we go back and forth. Exactly. So my point was, uh, four years, I think we went, um, we dropped down in numbers really, really low at Oakland Valley boys and girls. So we went six man for four years. Oh, wow. And um, all of my knowledge for full court presses paid off <laughs> in calling the defense in six man because a lot of the defenses I aligned, you know, to different formations and stuff were basically just your diamond press or your 2 2 1 press or, you know, just different ways of putting on pressure while keeping everybody else, you know, in, a, in kind of a zone coverage. And um, so it was, a, it was a lot of times, you know, my my knowledge in basketball that relate to, you know, okay, how are we going to play defense this week? Uh, so so you weren't like, uh, you know, calling shell drill or something like that in the middle of football practice and, and they're looking at you like, uh, sorry, coach, wrong season or something Ooh. like that? <laughs> No, I didn't really call it shell, but we did a lot of things like that. It uh-huh. was, it was kind of, it was fun. I, I, I liked my time coaching six man. I think more than any other time that I had, mm-hmm. it was, it was unique. Yep. Different game plan each week. Yeah. Uh, we're all kind of in this situation, especially if we're high school coaches and, 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 you know, most levels where, uh, we, we play a lot of the same teams, over and over again. Sometimes it's by convenience. Like if you're down here in the Omaha area, uh, you know you could play a lot of teams within 20 or 30 minutes of, of your school, and you do it just because of convenience. Whereas sometimes in more rural areas, like in, in your case, or if, once you get you know west of Grand Island, let's say, it's out of necessity because even your road trips can be two, two and a half hours if you're if you're in the extreme areas of of rural Nebraska or anywhere else around the country. So, uh, when you are in a situation like most of us are, where you're playing a lot of the same schedule uh, year in and year out, you know, okay, it's the second week of December. We've got West High and we've got Central High. We know that's just going to be like clockwork. And in your situation, you're a smaller community and you're in a, a more rural situation. So your schedule remains probably pretty similar year in and year out, coach. Uh, how do you, though, keep that fresh when you know that out of your, let's say, 21 or 22 regular season games, you know, 20 of those teams are going to be the same. Uh, you know, or or those twenty of those games are going to be against similar opponents over a five year stretch, and none of that's really going to change a lot during the regular season. How do you keep that fresh? Um, well, I mean, different different players all the time, you know. But but honestly, we have a lot of we don't have a whole lot of coaching turnover, um, and and when you do, I, you figure them out as well. But uh, from year to year, I know every team that we play knows what we're going to do. Um, you know, and we can change up between one, three, one or man to man, um, and maybe throw a different press or two at them. But 
in in all reality, my offense has been the same for 22 years. You know, my defenses have been pretty similar. Um, so we kind of use that to our advantage as well. You know, we, we know how teams are going to um, scout us, you know, and so now it's a matter of putting more into the player personnel, you know, and um, what are you going to do to be different? You know, what are you going to do to make this, you know, work for us? And, um, you know, I, I think honestly it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change for the kids. It, cha- it doesn't, it, it, I guess it doesn't change for me. It changes for the kids because to them, it's a new schedule every year. You know, even though you might be playing Elgin on December 10th, you know, every year pretty much. And you know what they do, you know, what, what they do by that time, you know, and they know what you're going to do by that time, mm-hmm. what you're going to have in, um, you know, so for the kids, it's, it's not real hard because, you know, their four years go so fast, but but every year is kind of seemingly different for them. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece, with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. Coach, let's let's take a look at, you know, we, we all have people that we look up to in our career. And yeah, I just did a foundation Friday a week or two ago on mentors and the importance of mentors in our life and the people that have helped guide us. And you've got a really impressive list of, of folks here uh, that you sent me before we got going. So I just wanted to kind of rapid fire, you know, 60 to 120 seconds on each one of these folks here on, on this list. And, and some of them are well known. Some of them are not as well known, but we all have our we all have our mentors here. So are we ready for a little rapid fire round here? Here, coach. Yep, I'll try my best. All right, here we go. Uh, Ron Beacom. Uh, so Ron Beacom's now at Neely Oakdale, and so I'm actually really good friends with him because I see him all the time. Um, but I started off my relationship with him when I was at Midland. I, I asked to be a student coach um, just for experience, and he was at Bergen, and he was the boys' basketball coach at the time. Uh, and now he's become a really, really successful football coach, and. Um, in different sports, but it didn't change. You, you could tell why he was successful. His relationship with the kids and his way of commanding his um, his assistant coaches and giving them jobs and delegating was was unbelievably uh, a, a great experience for me. Mm-hmm. How about Chris Paulson? Um, again, so I was there for two years at Fremont Bergen when I was uh, at Midland, and uh, Beacon was the first coach. Uh, and then Paulson took over. Uh, Beacom transitioned into football. And uh, Chris Paulson's knowledge of the game was something I took away from him. I mean, and that's still ongoing. I talk to him uh, yearly, you know, and during the season, I at least try to check in once or twice, you know, just because sometimes I have a question for him. Um, you know, his his knowledge of the game far uh, exceeded a lot of people's. And so I, I just, I learned a tremendous amount um, from him mm-hmm. uh, and just appreciate my time at, Oklahoma, or at uh, Fremont Bergen with him. 
In, in what games? Offense, you know, what's kind of a specialty area for Chris? Offense, defense, fundamental development, program development. What what are maybe one or two core areas of strength that Chris really has that you feel like's above and beyond? Um, you know, I it's it's kind of all a combination. I would say now he's definitely better with you know player development um, than anything else because I think he understands that that kids need to win the you know, ball games for you. And, and, uh, so you can put whatever offense you want to out there, but the kids need to perform. And so, um, I've, I've taken a lot of that from him, you know, but at the time it was the way he managed practice. Um, you know, it was just, uh, the kids moved from one thing to another and they knew what they were supposed to get out of each drill. Um, and I think that was the vital part is not just doing a drill, but what are you getting out of this? You know, how are we using this? Um, because I don't use any drills, um, you know, in my practices, that the kids don't utilize during a game because mm-hmm. otherwise what's the point, yeah. you know? And so I think I got a lot of that from, from him, you know, and, and a little bit of, you know, adjusting cause he's a, he's a man to man kind of coach, but I know that he had to adjust and he had to have the kids play one, three, one the year that I was there and they were darn good at it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of got that from him as well as, you know, don't be stubborn in what you do defensively, do what your kids are going to be best at. Yep. Rich McGill. Um, so yeah, Rich McGill, uh, was the, the, uh, men's coach at Midland at the time. And I didn't play, um, but I took a theory of basketball class and I actually coached Rich's son, Kevin, when I was at Fremont Bergen. So the, our relationship kind of exceeded Midland. Um, but you know, even though I wasn't a player for Rich, he kind of saw something in me and he kind of it made it a personal, uh, relationship between us two and, and I, I kind of appreciated that, you know, he didn't have to do that because I wasn't a player, like I said. Um, but I think he saw some potential in me and, and encouraged it. Mm-hmm. Um, Joanne Bracker, the women's coach at Midland when you were there. Yep. So same, same thing. Um, they co-taught co-taught the uh, uh, theory of basketball class that I was in. Um, and when it came to coach uh, Bracker's um, part, she did a little bit more of the on the floor stuff. So we actually kind of went up and down and played. And, um, I remember her personally taking me aside and, um, you know, talking to me, uh, on a level of that, like one of her assistants would probably get talked to. And I never helped her, um, in any time, you know, but it, she kind of put that, that, um, I guess confident in me that, that I could do this, that I was maybe good at, at doing this. And, um, and honestly, you you couldn't have asked for a better coach as far as X's and O's and um, just different different drills that you could do in practice. Mm-hmm. And last on our list, uh, the aforementioned Andy Verbka. Um, yeah, so Andy Verbka is an awesome guy. He's retired now and he does a lot of fishing. <laughs> um, but when, when he came my my freshman year um, when I was at Clark, so I went I graduated from Clark's uh, Public Schools. And um, we had gone through a different football coach um, every year from when I was probably in third or fourth grade to by the time I got into junior high. So we kind of thought it was just the same thing. You know, this guy's going to come in. He's he's highly touted. You know, Um, he's going to be our coach for this year and then he's going to be gone. And he didn't. He stuck around. And um, I think that relationship, you know, formed over four years that that something that I'll never forget, never that you can never take away from me is just the way that he, um, I don't know if he demanded excellence, you know, from his players. And he was going to be one of those guys that didn't change like what he did. This is how we do it. This is the way we're going to do it. And he established in a, a tradition and the culture right away. 
Um, and the fact that he stuck around to build it was um, the most impressive thing to me. Mm-hmm. Is and and we'll kind of get into your traditions and culture and and building that in a smaller community. Well, let's just jump into it right now. Is that kind of where uh, a lot of your philosophy came from, Coach? Is is Coach Verbka and the things that you've done in at Elkhorn Valley to build a consistent winner year in year out with uh, you know a, with a small student enrollment to develop athletes and players from. Um, yeah, uh, I would say one of the, the biggest things I probably inherent, uh, inherently took from Coach Burpko was the fact that he could he could distinguish between football on the field, in the locker room, and in the classroom. You know, there was there was a definite um, not difference, I guess, but but it was um, he was a teacher when he was a teacher, he was a coach when he was a coach, and. Um, it didn't really change as far as what he demanded from people. You know, he, he made things fun, um, I think, for the kids in the classroom and um, in football. And, um, but yet he, he still uh, made sure you knew what the purpose was, you know, and what you're supposed to pull out of it. So um, a lot of establishing my culture at Elkhorn Valley has been the same thing. You know, um, these kids need to know, that, that you mean business in the classroom as well as you do on the courts. Uh, you can't be all of a sudden demanding when you're not, uh, you know, elsewhere. Um, so I think that was part of the biggest thing I think I took um, from them. And, and, you know, like I said, indirectly, I think that's what we do, you know, is, is uh, just make sure that we understand that there's a purpose in everything and there's a, there's a work ethic that comes with that. Mm-hmm. What are some other things that you feel like, you've been able to do within the within the community uh, to, to go on the run that you've gone on the last two decades. I mean, obviously, uh, you, you got to have talented athletes. I'm not, you know, it's like Gino Ariema says, you know, there's never been a great, great coach without great players. And I and I understand that. But how do you keep uh, how do you get those kids uh, bought in and they're excited to be a Falcon as as soon as possible and and building that culture and getting that community support that you had throughout uh, your tenure there um i think it changes every year i you know i know you think the word tradition and you don't think it change you yeah. know but um it, it changes every year that the the culture that you have to build with your team um because kids really don't care anymore about tradition i mean they, they care a little bit and they want mm-hmm. they want to be a part of something that's successful but I don't think they fully know what that means, you know, and, and you can talk too much about past teams and you can yeah. talk too much about tradition. Um, and so I think you got to find a fine line of how do you whittle this in there? You know, how do you, how do you make them understand that what they're playing for this season is bigger than them, you know, it's bigger than this season. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it traditions harder sell this year uh, or this, this time, especially with kids nowadays, but, um, I think you've got to find subtle ways of, of, you know, mixing in tradition with the culture that you established that season. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting that you say that. I, I've I've never really thought about that tra- it, it, the definition of tradition in that way because I think we still have a large segment of our population that says uh, tradition is blank, and you know we'll we'll use a. Uh, you know, college football as an example. At at the University of Nebraska, we 
we let out the the red balloons uh, at the when when the Huskers score their first touchdown and we're supposed to do this at this point of the game in Memorial Stadium and this and that and the other thing and I and I do think that there is a value to that but you also have to adapt to what else is going around, on around you and what was good even 5 or 10 years ago is is not going to be as effective perhaps if you don't update it if you don't upgrade it to fit what we have today is that kind of what you're thinking as well coach uh, exactly right i think the nebraska football program is a great example of um how tradition can can hurt you in a sense you know uh-huh. because i think you have a bunch of people our age that still know that that 90s you know uh, husker football and husker power um and we're holding on to that and we're we're so upset about what's happening right now, you know. Where I think that's where tradition can hurt you, mm-hmm. you know. But then I think you you latch on to, like, um, you know, knowing that this team's a different team than what it was in, in the '90s. But knowing that we can still have that that you know traditional success, you know, and just giving it time and being patient with it, I think is kind of a good chunk of it. Uh, but yeah, it's a good example of kind of what I was uh, referring to. That it, tradition, I don't know if it matters so much to this generation, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I grew up in Iowa, so mm. I, I'm 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 an Iowa Iowa State I won't guy. Hold that against you. <laughs> what what's that? I said I won't hold that against you. <laughs> well, I I appreciate that, and uh, I'll just continue to take those seven wins in a row that Iowa has over Nebraska, and, and keep adding on to that. So. Uh, of which, yeah, uh, uh, you know, so uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, Coach, you've had a great run, um, you know, since your since your time at Elkhorn Valley. I think you said ten state tournaments, uh, but you, you kind of you, you haven't quite gotten over that hump yet. Is is that frustrating? Are you are you know? Is it a mix of yeah, I'm frustrated. I wish we'd do more, but gosh darn, I'm really thankful for all the success that we've had. Uh, is there some things of looking at okay? Uh, what is that extra thing or two that we need to do to get to that championship game? What is that extra thing or two that we need to uh, to, to cut down those nets in Lincoln uh, that first weekend in March? How is that you know how is that kind of uh, help shape your program, your philosophy to sometimes uh, I was it Michael Bolton that had the song so close but so far away? I, I hate to bring Michael Bolton to a podcast. I apologize, listeners. Um, <laughs> I really do. The Barry Manilow hour will begin after this. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, you know, how does that kind of, how have you looked at things from that, in, in that regard? Well, and, and I, we were actually fortunate enough in 2010, we did win it uh, in class D1. But um, before that, we had kind of established, like I said, that 2014, we made it to state. And then 2005, we did. Uh, and then in 2006, we didn't, although we were a team that, that vastly improved um, throughout the season. Um, and then from 2007 to 2012, we made it every year. Um, and in that span, I would definitely say that that became more of like a getting over the hump, mm-hmm. you know. And then when we finally did in 2010, it was, it was um, I mean, it was very, very re- rewarding. Uh, but in all honesty, that was a team that just – outworked everybody i don't know i I can't um you know i can't go back and pinpoint what exactly did it because in 2009 we probably had a more talented team Mm -hmm. you know in in all regards and we ended up losing in the semis and we got third um but 2010 they did it you know and so you had um 
the exuberance, you know, like we got over the hump, we got there and then it was just like a relaxing championship game, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was kind of a, a neat way to see it, you know, but then after that, I would say that's when, that's when it got tough for me was in 2011 and 2012. We, we followed up with state tournament appearances, but we didn't, uh, 2011, we lost in the first round. And then 2012, we got fourth, you know, mm-hmm. we went down to state and we lost twice. Um, and those were, those were bitter, bitter pill, pills to swallow. Um, why was that? Went on a stretch where, uh, I said those were bitter pills to yeah. swallow. Sorry. Why, why was that? Why was that bitter to, to swallow? Well, because I, because we were so talented, you know, when we won in 2010, we had a good group of sophomores. And mm-hmm. so you kind of thought, well, we're going to at least follow this up in the state championship game every year, you know, from there on out. We could have, I think just, you know, luck didn't fall our way. Um, but I, I think that's kind of what it got to, you know, getting to the state tournament, we made that, that run from 2007 to 2012. It became more of a, it, it became more of a job, you know, where I, it, you, the expectation was to get there, which is really, really good. But for me, it was, you know, exhausting. You got done with the season. It's just like, ah, uh, thank goodness, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I, I, but, um, you know, it really made it, though, too, I think, um, made me feel so much better about in 2019 and then last year when we got there again. Um, so appreciative of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it became such a job for me to get down to Lincoln. And then I knew all the venues, I knew all the locker rooms. So it's just like, it's a job. But then I got there in 2019 and 2022 here, and um, we appreciated it a lot more. You know, and I soaked it all in the crowds and the, the lights and, and the locker rooms. And I mean, it, you just kind of you kind of took a, a slower walk around things, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, like I said, I've been very, very fortunate. I, I consider myself very, very lucky to have been here and been able to go on any kind of run that we've had. Yeah. Do you think in that, at, you know, 2011, 2012, you know, how did you uh, get that balance back in your coaching life to have that joy again and not have it be the quote, as you said, a job? You know, how did how did you how did you bring that back into your own personal? joy of coaching well and and that's where i'm probably a bit different i think than other coaches um you know we had such a good run and with it came you know a a lot of opportunities a lot of people calling me you know to um interview for jobs and and things like that and and i always kind of looked down the road you know i always kind of looked at it beyond my junior high who's my third and fourth graders you know who do we have coming up because um, you know, in 2011 and 2012, I knew I had really good teams in 2013, 14 and 15. I knew we were not going to be very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just ran out of kids. I mean, I had one team, I think I had nine girls wow. on, you know, and, and that was so unusual for us, but I also was kind of up for the challenge, you know, of, of what I knew in my mind was going to be losing, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to find those little victories along the way. Um, I remember one time, I don't know what year it was, but I had, you know, really good junior high kids and they were my student managers. And I kind of looked at them and I said, are you guys going to be high schoolers already? You know, (laughs) just kind of looking at them down the road. And so I think that's what, um, got me through, you know, like I knew that 11 and 12 were going to be, we got to get down there and we got to get to that state championship game. And I think there was a little disappointment when we didn't. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of looked at it as this is kind of it, you know, this is our run. And then I know that we're going to have to rebuild from here. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put in the time and, and, uh, 
you know, I, I like these third graders coming up. I like these fifth graders coming up, you know, mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, let's transition here. Uh, let's, let's jump into uh, our John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, from Wooden, a lifetime of observations. Are you ready, Coach Dittmer, for the John Wooden yep. quote of the day? Yes. All right, here we go. From page 58 of Wooden's Lifetime of Observations, our quote is, Do not become too concerned about what others may think of you. Be very concerned about what you think of yourself. Too often we care more about a stranger's opinion of us than our own. What do you got for me after that one, Coach? I, you know, <laughs> that, that's uh, it's like looking in the mirror. You know, it's what I should <laughs> tell myself every day. In all honesty, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we you talk about tradition and the end. You know, I I do worry a little bit too much about what others think of my program, me, you know, personally, uh, and that type of thing. When you know, at the end of the day, you do need to just kind of look at yourself and and say, are you satisfied with the job you've done? Yeah. You know. Are you satisfied with how you're treating your your kids? And um, you know, I, I think it, it, in the in the end, you know, you can make up a thousand things of what other people are thinking, mm-hmm. but they may be thinking the same thing you are about yourself. You know, yeah. so there's no use uh, worrying about it too much. Yeah, and, and I think that's you know, we we have this very public job, and we readily accept that. You know, most of, I think most of us understand that. Okay we are going to be judged by what it says with three zeros on the clock on every Friday night, you know, and, and, and that's fine. But too often, especially when things are going either really, really well or really, really poorly that we consider that. And I know I probably fell victim to this is that is my only identity. That's my only self-worth. And, we have to realize that no, there's so much more to us than what that scoreboard says at the end of the night. There's been teams that I've coached that uh, I'm really, really proud of that did not have a great record because I know those uh, those kids and that team really maxed themselves out. Even though people, other people might be looking at it and going, "Well, that was a terrible team because your one loss rock one loss record was this and this." And I and I think that we as as coaches to protect our own mental health and our own mental well being, we have to look beyond what that scoreboard says at the at the end of the game. It, you know, that's that's another way I look at it as well, Coach. I don't. What, what do you think of that? Oh, I I completely agree. You know. Um, I, the one thing I learned in, in, uh, 13, 14 and 15, when we didn't win a whole lot of ball games, um, was 
I didn't need to change very much. You know, I, I didn't need to change who I was or, or anything like that. So it was probably a, a good lesson to learn, you know, in, in that regard, because, um, yeah, you, you can't go. I, I was, um, a good coach then and I'm a good coach when we win 20 games you know I mean it doesn't matter you know as far as uh wins and losses as long as your kids are um you know healthy and having fun oh yeah uh I I think that's 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 such an accurate statement you know I didn't I didn't get that much dumber compared from last year to this year or I didn't get that much smarter compared from last year to this year. Uh, it's 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 kind of a sliding scale based on who's wearing the uniform for me, uh, rather than uh, other things, you know. So uh, I, I I think we all have to keep, especially when we're especially don't you think, coach? When we're younger, when we're younger coaches, especially that's when we kind of really fall into that trap of getting caught up into that stuff, don't you think? Oh, I agree, and and I see a lot of young coaches that kind of make that mistake. You know, they're going to be judged on, on their wins and their losses. And, and, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, that's, I always try to compliment young coaches now that I'm kind of an old coach, I guess. Um, but I always try to compliment the young coaches that I know I see doing that Mm -hmm. because I know I was there. Um, and like one of the mentors I, I listed, you know, was John Miller. Mm -hmm. I remember him saying on many, many occasions to me, how impressed he was even on years we weren't playing each other we'd see each other at, at summer league and that was it you know and and so i try to send that same message to coaches that i know are doing it right because yeah. um you know I, that meant a lot to me and i hope it means a lot to them yeah absolutely absolutely well let's get into your stuff you used to talk about not changing you've got your philosophy and it's been a very successful philosophy for you overall uh so let's talk uh, let's talk a little bit about your program, what you try to teach. Uh, let's start with your transition offense, Brendan. Uh, you know, what, do, what are you teaching uh, transition offense and getting the ball out and pushing? Obviously, we played each other uh, uh, a few weeks ago at our team camp, so I got to see some of this live and up front. And, and so I need to get my scouting report together for next year's team camp here. So, so uh, what have you got for us there, Coach? What are you trying to do? Well, first of all, I think off, uh, transition just alone is, is so vital. I mean, I think it's important. I think, uh, well, every day I know our practices, um, it, 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 and it starts with a layup drill that kind of goes right into a transition drill. Um, and then we go to transition team offense. We do that every day uh, because I, I think it's important. Um, and and honestly, it's kind of funny because I had a, I had a player here that just graduated um, and she came from another program uh, her sophomore year. And I was talking transition. We're coaching, and, and we have the, the practice plans transition. Um, and she uh, just this year told me that when she came her sophomore year, she didn't even know what transition meant. Oh, <laughs> she wow. We were going over a set play. Um, so it was, kind of, it was kind of funny, but then it was also kind of rewarding, you know, to know that, well, hey, my kids in junior high know what transition means. Mm-hmm. You know, transition offense, transition defense, and just how important it is. So, um, so you know, you're, you're it, emphasizing it very, very important. You're, you're emphasizing this from top to bottom in your program, coach. Oh yeah, big yeah. time. Okay. I, I, I think we even get there too. Um, we'll talk maybe later about our junior Falcons program, but fifth and sixth grade, I think we start to really incorporate, you know, what we need to do transitionally. So, gotcha. um, but no, back to what we do. Uh, I've stolen bits and parts, you know, from different things. And I, and I always try to incorporate, I always try to think of like when I go to a clinic, okay, what do we do? How does this fit us? You know? 
And um, it's kind of a combination of uh, old Roy Williams, Kansas Jayhawk basketball, and Kelly Flynn, South Sioux City basketball. Um, we we try to p- pitch the ball ahead. You know, I mean, I, my point guards are, are kind of ingrained. They get the ball wide. They dribble middle. Um, but they're always in kind of an, a lane, um, uh-huh. kind of outside. And then they look diagonally. You know, so that's the first look. And then they look diagonal deep. They look diagonal you know, like the post run down the middle, mm-hmm. um, and then they put the ball side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they kind of, they're ingrained to do that because sometimes transition can just be natural. Mm-hmm. And it can just be every drill that you do full court, you know. And so if you kind of teach your point guards to, to look that way and to think that way, um, it gets them started in the right direction. Um, wherever ball side is established, we go as deep into the baseline as we can. And like I said, teams that know that we do that, they try to trap us. Um, so we try to make quick decisions, you know, out of that baseline spot. But the reason why we go there uh, is to see if we can get an advantage. Like if our post can outrun the other team's post, you know, maybe we can get them to seal us high and, um, you know, we can uh, get the ball to them, just enter it on the baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, we kind of, like I said, we, we do a lot of different things. Some of that uh, Kansas Jayhawk uh, type of transition, you know, we, we try to, get the ball maybe reverse all the way across the floor, you know, stretch the defense back after they've tried to catch up. Um, and we kind of go from there into our offense. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, on the other side of that, you can't talk transition offense without talking about transition defense. What are some of the things that you've done in your program to stop people from getting out so quickly and preventing easy runouts and easy baskets against your, uh, your teams? Well, and, and that's a that's a scouting thing. You know, we always look at, you know, what the teams try to do because there's, there's some teams that don't run. They don't really want to push the ball up the floor. Um, and so you just kind of establish you're getting back. And, and, I, and I always treat it as uh, this is it's a funnel. You know, I mean, we have to make sure we run wide in transition on offense, but we funnel through the middle on defense. And so we kind of go through some even some conditioning things, you know, where we just flat out turn into a sprint and we turn and backpedal down the middle mm-hmm. um, and um, it, 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 down the floor just to make sure that we get that kind of mindset of getting back, not getting beat, and getting into the lane and just piling it up, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but some teams really know that they're going to they're gonna try to pitch the ball down the sideline. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to get it to the right side, and they're going to go down the right side. And so we then change our, our um, kind of defensive stance, I guess. We, we get down the floor, but we get out wide. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to take those passes away, you know, if we can – we can see that in a scouting report. Um, some teams like to get deep, real deep, and then they try to get the ball to the high post, you know, to a post maybe athletic that, um, you know, can catch the ball there and do something with it. Um, so you, you've got to talk transition defense and make it part of your scouting report, you know, for each team that you play. When, uh, you know, again, I know every team is different, but when your shot goes up for the Falcons, and you're going to the glass. How many? How many of you? How many kids are you sending to the glass? Uh, do you have a designated person or person getting persons getting back? Uh, how do you manage your your defensive rotation from the time the shot is released for you guys? Um, and that's actually something I picked up from you know my high school coaches. Um, it, it, you know, you pick up little stuff that you remember. Um, that was one I'll never forget. But it's the, just the top person. Um, whoever's the deepest um, on that offensive possession. So if it's somebody at the top of the key, obviously it's them. Um, we try to send four. Um, it doesn't always work that way. But we try to send four to get an offensive rebounding advantage. 
um, but the top person has to get back. And so it really, we really get caught up when we're all flat. You know, mm-hmm. if we're all flat, and then we all kind of seemingly are there, and sometimes we get beat. But um, then a wing's got to recognize and communicate. You know, uh, we always try to say whole. Um, that's our our terminology for help side. I guess we say whole. Um, but on transition defense, somebody's got to have the hole, which means that their head's going to get underneath the rim, and they're going to be that that rim protector. Okay. All right. Um, how, how? What are some things that you do in practice to work on? Uh, maybe one drill on both sides of the ball there for your offense and your defensive transition? Um, well, a good one for a combination. Uh, we call it, I, I don't know where I would have got this name from, but we call it uh, well, kind of whatever person, but five-person rush, four-person rush, three-person rush. Um, and so what we have is we have, let's say, a green team and a white team, since those are our colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're going five-person rush, we have five whites out on the free-throw line extended, and then we have uh, five greens on the baseline. And I'll throw the ball to one person on the baseline, and that person is the point guard. That person is going to uh, you know, dribble. And if it's a post, sometimes I throw a post, they get to a guard maybe right away. But that defensive player that's right across from them at the free throw line has to go touch the baseline. So for a, a moment, the offense is going to have the advantage. So they're five on four until that player runs down the floor and catches up. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, we do that probably once a week just to liven things up and, and change things up as far as when we work on transition. Um, so it's not so scripted, I guess, you know, it's a little more ad lib and, um, you know, they can, they can try to stay organized in what we, how we run our transition game. Um, but they also know maybe how to find the open person with the advantage. Well, it's good to have that chaos in practice as well, because mm-hmm. at times, a lot of times our game is built on who can handle chaos the best and, the more yeah. chaotic you can make it in practice, I think it's it's better for you, even though there's going to be some growing pains with that uh, while you're trying to develop that philosophy. I want some chaos in practice because I know we're going to have to learn how to handle it within competitions. Is, is that kind of part of it as well, Coach? Oh, yeah. I, I think big time. you gotta, you got to... Um, you know, I think in a way you got to start practice that way and maybe end practice that way. Um, cause we also have a fun transition drill we do at the end of practice. Sometimes, uh, we call it T-Bird because we got it from Bell West, but, um, it's, it's one where you just keep adding people. So you start with uh, two on one side, one on the other. And so you throw up the ball and then the, the two players have to rebound. Um, and then they go down and run transition two on one. And then when the shot is made or turnover or rebound or whatever, then you add two from that other team. So now they're going down the floor three on two. And then you keep adding until you get five on four. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's like, we, we, we call that one T-Bird. We like that one at the end of the practices. You know, run that for about five to seven minutes. And, you know, the girls, they don't even know they're working on stuff. They just enjoy <laughs> the, the, the drill. Uh, and those are the best drills. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, what about in-season player development sometimes we get so caught up in scouting reports and preparing for the next opponent which is obviously a big part of our job Uh, but we also need to continually to you know keep the focus on our own team in developing our own players as the season goes along and we've got to see that improvement on a daily basis within our own players so what are some of the things that that you and your coaching staff do there at Elkhorn Valley to develop your players and keep that focus on player development through December and January and into February so your team's hopefully playing as well as they can at the middle part of February um, well, yeah, and it's, it's nothing probably, you know, unique, I guess. Uh, 
we, we do a, kind of a handful of things, um, you know, as far as uh, drills. And so, like, it, too much to get into detail, I guess. Um, but uh, we, I think you got to let the kids script their own development in a lot of ways. Um, so we get out of school at 3.30, and at 3.40, they're expected to be in the gym ready. You know, that, that way there's not a lot of time in between school getting out and, you know, for them to screw around or talk to boyfriends or, or whatever the case is. So they get into the gym, and then for the first 10 minutes, um, they do their own ball handling. They do their own um, – we, we kind of change it up a little bit. We do some of the same stationary ball handling stuff, and then the full-court ball handling stuff we change up every day. Uh, we do some wall passing as part of that. We do some uh, – a drill I got from John Miller called Open Gym, where they don't even shoot the basketball. They just go find some space on the floor, and then they square up to a hoop, and they, they kind of work on Euro steps and – um, hop throughs and step backs and and things like that. So they kind of are doing those things on their own. And you know, you can stop a kid or two and, and just say, "Hey, you're not pushing yourself real hard. You're kind of playing it safe." And I think that's the best coaching you can do is just let them handle it on their own and then just go in and give them, you know, th- that little bit of feedback like when they need to. Or you go up to the kid that's doing a really good job and say, "Hey, I like the sweat that's on your brow right now." You know, you ten minutes into practice and and you're already ready to go. Um, but anyway, so they do that. Uh, and then I think we try to do it every day. It's really, really hard with as many games as we play now. Um, but I have a really good assistant coach, Sarah Black, and she's worked with my post for a long time. Um, and she gets 15 minutes, I get 15 minutes. So we split up the post, we split up the guards. And any tweener kind of goes back and forth, um, you know, b- between the post and the guards, maybe in the same day or maybe day by day. Um, but that's where we get our individual work in. Uh-huh. Um, it, Every day in practice, we try to script that that 15 minutes for that, um, and then there are 10 minutes that they handle on their own before you know before I say say a thing really. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you do you like um, giving your kids that that independence? And I've done a little bit of that. I haven't done it for a long time. Uh, I think we I I can't remember what name we gave it. Free skill work or or some some sort of name like that but what are what are the real benefits of giving what you call open gym what are what are some of the real big benefits that you see of not having everything so scripted and you're just able to kind of observe your players working on whatever they choose to work on as long as they're working hard what are what are kind of some of the unintended positives of doing something like that well i think your your leadership i mean any Anymore, it's really hard. You can you can say you have leaders, but but everybody leads a little differently, you know. And so I think that's a way that you can um, help development. You know, it, you're going to see your kids that that stand out, and you're going to see your kids that that don't. And hopefully, those kids that stand out are are kind of saying something and helping the kids that aren't. Um, and then you know you see that leadership. I guess I think it's really really important to let kids take ownership and and what they do, you know, because otherwise it's going to be too, you know, it's going to be two X's and O's. And, and when it comes down to it, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to be judged on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want my, my program to be judged on, well, you're, you know, not teaching the right offense, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And so I think that you, you let kids take ownership in their own development and they're going to have your back. You know, they're, they're going to be the ones that, um, promote what they're doing, I mm-hmm. think, a little bit more. So um, between that and then in natural leadership, I think it, it's important to give kids some freedom to, you know, do their do their thing, you know, under a watchful eye. Yep, 
Coaches, I love doing a pen and a napkin. It is something that was intended to become a hobby, but it has become a passion and a blessing in my life. I love helping coaches, and I hope that I've been able to help you in some way, shape, or form. I want to do more, but I need your help to do that. I've recently opened up a Patreon page to help a pen and a napkin grow even further, and I'd appreciate any help that you would be willing to give to a pen and a napkin. From the layup tier, and for as little as $3 a month, to the three-point tier, your generosity will enable a pen and a napkin to grow and develop even greater projects than we've already done. For more information, go to apenandanapkin.com and go to the Patreon link, or go to patreon.com backslash apenandanapkin. Coach, let's talk about your statistical analysis. You know, you uh, uh, what are some of the things that you're looking at as you're tallying up the the stats, or maybe as you're now we kind of have a little bit more capability of having live stats as the game goes along. But what are you looking at? And obviously, some of that's going to change a little bit from game to game. You're playing, you know, Team X, and they've got two six one. Uh, post players and so it's really important to keep them off the offensive glass so obviously that's something that's probably scouting report related but you know game in and game out consistently what is Elkhorn Valley looking at when it comes to statistical analysis and the key things that you're looking at as far as success for your team um you know I'm pretty simple uh and and again I, I might have a lot of you know, fellow coaches out there that, that think I'm wrong, you know, in this, but I honestly, I don't look at a lot of statistical things. Um, you know, in the end I, I, I do our stats and, and I, you know, upload them and do all that kind of stuff. But I seemingly after a game is played can kind of know what went right and what didn't, you know, so I don't look at a ton of things. Um, I think one, um, statistical, you know, a bit of analysis, I guess, is more of a goal. Um, we always try to, at the beginning of the year, talk about what should our defensive average be. Um, and I think, you know, game by game, I, you, you kind of look at that a little bit more. Um, just by chance, last year we broke our school record, um, you know, with we, we only gave up 33.4 points per game, which I thought was really, really good. That, that is um, really good, and, yeah. Yeah, and so defensive average, I think, is, is more of one of those things where you can give the girls, and they can take a lot of pride in now looking at that stat rather than an individual stat, you know, how many steals do I have, you know, like that type of thing. Um, and you kind of look at it as more of a team, like, gosh, we got there. We, you know, we, we got what we wanted. You know, we got below 33 or we got below 35, whatever mm-hmm. you give yourself as a goal at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, it just I wasn't a coach that looked at a lot of – um, shooting percentages and that type of thing. I know I always look at our free throw percentage and I'm uh, just look at it as dreadful all the time, but um, shot selection, I think is really, really important to look at rather than your shooting percentage. I think where you're getting your shots within the game, um, I think is a really important thing to analyze. Um, I had a coach, a good friend of mine a couple years ago that, um, he sent me his shot chart for, I think it was like four or five games, a, a stretch there. And he asked me to look at it and look at our percentage and, and, you know, give my feedback, I guess. And so the one thing I noticed without even looking at any numbers was all of his shots that he was taking were either right by the rim or outside the three-point line. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at it and I, I emailed him back and texted him and, or whatever and, and got a hold of him and said, where's all your 15 foot shots, your 10 to 15 foot shots. And he goes, we don't practice those. He goes, we're not going to shoot them in the game. So why would we practice them? 
And and so I'm I'm okay with that. That's fine because a lot of my shots are probably going to be within the, close to the basket or three point line. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guarantee we're going to have a lot more scattered in there from the ten to fifteen foot range um, than some other teams maybe because I in practice make them do those. You know, I make them do the one dribble pull ups, but I, I make them shoot ten to fifteen foot shots because that's going to make you a close range, a better close range shooter. It's definitely going to make you a better three-point shooter. Um, so I think, it, you know, when you look at shot selection, you've got to have some scatterings in there, you know, in that 10 to 10 to 15-foot range. Um, because if you're not, you're I think you're making wild shots by driving and forcing things. Mm-hmm. And you're maybe taking too many threes or too quick of threes. How, how do you grade that out, or how do you show your players – what is a quality shot? What is not a quality shot? Other than like the, again, we're talking stats here. Uh, do you have a formula that you use? I, I'm talking, uh, coach, something other than uh, stopping practice and saying, all right, Mary, that was a good shot or a bad shot or watching film and this is a good shot or a bad shot. Uh, do, do you have a formula that you use? We do. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, you know, how, how do you how do you help evaluate that for your team when it comes from a statistical point of view? Um, you know, it, honestly, we do. We don't do a, a ton with, you know, just handing out papers or, or having them watch video. Um, although we do, you know, watch some video. So if I've noticed a game where we didn't really have great shot selection, um, that's what I'm going to do is pull them in as a team, or I'm going to take um, my, a certain good player, right? You want your good players to take about 15 to 16, 17 shots a game. Um, and so maybe, you know, um, Huddle's a great tool you know and i don't i underutilize it i I could talk to a lot of coaches about how do you use this better but um but i'll take the all their shots they took in the game and i'll send it to them you know or i'll I'll bring them in uh during a a planning period or something and i'll show them and and say well let's watch this you know let's see where where these are at and then we can you know look at the shot chart there obviously on huddle um but i think that that's that's about the only tool we use otherwise i'm pretty um, pretty old school when it comes to you know what I hand my players and, and how much mm-hmm. we talk about statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach, let's wrap things up talking about your your junior Falcon program. You made reference to it earlier. I, I saw on Twitter uh, you as the varsity coach took your junior high team to a to a junior high team camp or something like that right before the Fourth of July. Did I did I see that correctly? Yep, yep. Yeah. That was kind of the end of our summer was uh, going to O'Neill for that. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, developing uh, players within your system, within your school district, um, and just just having that uh, pipeline, kind of building that up through and through the school district. What are some things that, that you've done to, to help lead to pretty consistent success with your program? Um, well, the first thing is a, is a really, really easy thing for any coach to do, uh, and that's just be visible. Um, I think it's really important that that your relationship with the elementary kids and junior high kids extends past the three or four days or five days that you have a, a summer camp. You know, I think you need to um, you need to show up when they're practicing. You know, whether they're practicing with a parent or whether they're practicing in a scripted you know format. Um, you know, under your system, you've got to be there and you've got to dish out the high fives and, and that type of thing. I think that's the most important thing. Um, but otherwise, uh, our Junior Falcons program, we, um, we start in kind of the end of October, 
um, maybe middle of, and the planning starts before this, but their volleyball season, when it ends, we, we start to have practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's and we work in, in coordinates with uh, Derek Warner's our boys basketball coach does a phenomenal job. His family's really integral in, in you know the Junior Falcons program. Um, so we work hand in hand with the boys, boys and girls together, and we have um, practices. And the head coaches, assistant coaches, are of the high school programs are all there um, for the first uh, three or four practices, and we actually run them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any parent volunteer and any any coach that's going to volunteer their time to coach a, a certain group, they're there, you know. And so they're learning what drills do we want them to do, what terminology do we want them to know and hear. Um, and so, you know, that's how we start things. And then we kind of turn it over to the coaches, you know, and they have their time. Um, and we plan all that out. So we, we don't have any, you know, gym time overlapping, I guess, for, for groups. So we plan out um, all their practices um, early and we give them a calendar and then uh, we kind of let, let it in their hands. If they don't want to have a practice, they don't have to have a practice. It's, it's there for them too. Um, but I think, again, you know, showing up is important. You know, don't just wash your hands of them after those four or five times that you went to that, that or, you know, the early practices. Um, and so I think that's a part of it. Uh, the, the terminology and the, the coaching of other coaches and, um, you know, the showing up um, is a big part of the Junior Falcons program. Um, and then we work our way into a, a season. So we actually have a, a, a league at Elkland Valley. Um, Albion, so Boone Central comes, um, Pierce comes, Norfolk comes, Norfolk Catholic, um, Luther High, uh, Battle Creek. Um, we get teams from Summerland um, to come in. Osmond comes, mm-hmm. Plainview comes. So it's it's kind of a big league, um, and that's that's I think it's fun for the kids. It's cool for the kids, but it's really nice to have at Elkhorn Valley. It takes a lot of planning. You got to have a lot of you know willing refs and everything else, but. Um, it's really nice that our kids don't have to travel for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it makes all the practice and, you know, worth it. You're going to have a season, you know, in, in a sense. You, know, you play about eight games and um, and then get themselves ready for, you know, any um, any any um, tournaments that they're going to play after the season, club mm-hmm. tournaments and stuff. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, what grades is, is that uh, or are that uh... – this is why I teach history and not English, Coach. Uh, in what grades does the does this league consist of? There we go. That's the proper English I was looking for. Um, so we kind of have two divisions, um, although you do see a lot of uh, individualized teams. We have a third and fourth grade division and then a fifth and sixth grade division. Okay. Um, so that's our elementary. Um, and But like last year, we had a third grade team and a fourth grade team, and my daughter was on the third grade team, and we found out that there's a big difference in – in physical size between third graders and fourth graders. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, looking forward to next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they get to, they get to play up now. They get to play up. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, is it uh, or was it? I should say, was it a little bit difficult in the beginnings of this to get people on board with? Okay, you may call uh, this. You may call it a box out, but I want you to call it a, a checkout, or we say hit and get. Uh, that's what we wanted you to refer to it as. You, be, because when they're with me for four years of high school, this is what they're going to hear. Um, yep. it, it, was it, or what's the process been of, of getting people to buy into that terminology and doing things the way that you want them to do it? 
Well, you know, I don't, I don't think very difficult. Um, you know, you just, you just go and you just kind of naturally use it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever terminology, like, like a big one is you call it the high post or you call it the elbow, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I honestly refer to it as both when I'm in practice. So I, I tell coaches, you've got to call it this though. You can't just say, go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to say, I want you on the baseline. I want you in the short corner. I need kids knowing what those things mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so instead of just because I think with a third grader, it's a bit, it's easy just to say, okay, grab by the shoulders and lead him over here. I need you to hear. You know, when we yeah. start this offense, I need you to hear. Well, where is here? Is it the wing? You know, is it the high post? Is it, you know? And so I think that's kind of the biggest, um, you know, bit of terminology. Um, and, you know, as far as uh, all those other, you know, drills and things, we call them by the same name. Um, and, you know, if a coach has a question on it or maybe calls it something different, um, you speak of that junior high camp that we went to. Um, I have an offense that I call Bomber in high school. And somewhere down the line, one of the coaches in Junior Falcons changed it to Jayhawk. And I don't know why <laughs> that happened, but I know it. And so if I know it, I'm okay with that because, like, I'll tell kids, hey, we're going to run Bomber here. I think some of you guys know it as Jayhawk. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I got it. But, it, you know, so as long as you're around, I think you're going to know what they know and, and they're going to know definitely what you want them to know. Perfect. Perfect. A great way to end it. Uh, Coach, any social media, anything that you want to plug for, for your program? Um, well, I know, I mean, our, our, um, we're, we're trying to get better at it, you know, but our, um, Twitter handle I think is at ED Falcons. Um, you know, mine is at coach Dittmer. Um, but you know, we, we try to do a lot now with, um, just generally getting it on the Elkhorn Valley, you know, page and and um that's that ev falcon yeah ev falcons but um no other than that that's that's about it i i do appreciate though following a lot of coaches and so if, if people want to follow me that's great but um i i learned a lot just by the way other coaches talk after their games after their practices after their summer um and so forth so i appreciate it well, Coach, I think a lot of people have taken a lot from you. I, I've got a I've got a page full of notes here on my script, and uh, just a lot of really good things that I've taken from you here today. So uh, I, I really, really appreciate your time coming on to the podcast here today. And 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 as I say to most of my guests, I hope you've enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin here today. Oh, and, and I've I've definitely enjoyed my time, and I do enjoy a pen and a napkin. I mean, oh my gosh, the things that you're doing, sir basketball in the state of Nebraska and beyond is, is tremendous. I, I'm, I'm just, I was just talking to the battle Creek coach at that junior high camp about, about it, you know, where he's finally gotten um, into listening to your podcast and those types of things, how much he appreciates it. So it's really cool to see it growing. Um, it's really cool to have conversations and, and uh, you know, just an ongoing clinic every week. Well, I, I hope I'm not screwing up too many people. Let's let's leave. <laughs> let's, let's put it like that. Uh, I, I hope people are better for it, and and it's it's uh, you know it, it's only possible with uh, with talking with uh, really really good coaches every week. And and coach, I can't thank you enough for your time here today. And uh, you know, a lot of people are going to get a lot of really good things out of this. So uh, appreciate your time, Brendan. Really, really appreciate it. So uh, could you hold the line real quick while we sign off here? Yep. All right. Awesome. Uh, Brendan Dittmer, the, the head girls basketball coach at Elkhorn Valley High School here in Nebraska. want to thank him for his time this afternoon. Of course, we want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, 
Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. Try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle. Download, rate, review this pod. Give us five stars. Help us move up in the ratings. Let us help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. Any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Of course, check out a pen and a napkin.com. Really, really good coach. I think it's a good coaching website, but it's my coaching website. So, I'm going to be a little bit biased when it comes to stuff like that. And, of course, check out our Patreon page, Patreon backslash, uh, patreon.com backslash a pen and a napkin. Again, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to have Brendan Dittmer, the head girls basketball coach at Elkhorn Valley, on the podcast this week. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.